Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips.
Iski, yeah. welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, hey, Srini. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So I came across you by way of our mutual friend, Sarah Peck, who has been a guest here and also a referral source for lots of amazing guests. So on that note, can you tell us a bit about yourself, uh, your story, your journey, your background, and how that has brought you to what you're up to in the world today? Oh, wow. Um, I can take a deep inhalation for this one. <laughs> Because really, the story goes, yeah, I think I need to follow follow the thread right back. Um, probably, you know, to the very beginning or maybe even a little bit before. Um, because it's a story that's been shaped by where I grew up um, on the northwest coast of Ireland in Donegal. And just right on the edge, you know, where the land meets the sea, literally. And, and uh, my whole life has been about this relationship and connection I've had with the sea and surfing. But, you know, where does that even come from at a time, I guess, when I grew up and in the middle of nowhere, there's there's no cool surfing culture or anyone doing that. Um, no one even to aspire to, except I just happened to be born into uh, this pioneering surfing family in Ireland, <laughs> which was pretty unusual back then. But my dad and his brothers um, were actually some of the first surfers ever in Ireland um, and pioneered the sport. And the story, really, how even they came to it is really quite fascinating and makes me really understand what's happening in my life a lot better now. And it's it sort of feels like it's something that's been this almost this heritage that's been passed on, like the way you have this genetic code, <laughs> but it's been through uh, stories. Uh, and yeah, this this connection, I suppose, through the through the family line of um, my uh, starting with my grandmother, who um, in the 1960s she she set up her own hotel on this beach in Rasnala in Donegal, really remote. And at that time, too, it was quite an adventurous thing to do, really, to enter into like the tourism industry in Ireland. Um, we don't exactly have sunshine to sell, nor did <laughs> have surfing then either. So, <laughs> And uh, she actually was in, in the States in the 60s promoting um, tourism in Ireland um, abroad. And uh, she ended up in California. Uh, in Malibu of all places and perfect timing because it was the 60s you had the whole uh, Gidget scene Beach Boys all that kicking off again with this renaissance in, in surfing and contemporary surf culture but you know my uh, my nana kind of wasn't really aware of any of that except that when she checked into her hotel looks out of her window and sees the waves rolling in at Malibu and thinks hang on a minute I've got we've got like, better waves than this at home in Donegal, <laughs> outside, <laughs> outside my house, outside her hotel. And I, I don't know what, what uh, really sparked for her. Unfortunately, she's not around um, anymore to have this discussion. But what she did was she decided to bring back two surfboards. Um, and I think her intention was more, like she was a real savvy businesswoman, her intention was more to maybe have it for tourists or as a piece of, you know, memorabilia maybe to put on the wall. Um, except you come back with this, you know, really exotic, <laughs> exotic thing and you have five boys. And my dad and his brothers saw it and got their hands on it. And, and I suppose almost the rest is history, as they say. Hmm. Um, but really, I mean, when they when uh, they started surfing, they hadn't a clue what it all meant, uh, how to even do it. There was no trend to follow um, for like the first year. They're just lying down um, before they see a traveling surfer um, standing up on a surfboard. So they had no reference material or, or guidelines for how you should do it. And then it's Ireland. Right. So there's uh, the case of the cold water. I mean, it had to be pretty hardcore. <laughs> And uh, I grew up, you know, with these stories of how my dad and his brothers, they had one, one of those old dive suits, um, two pieces, and they'd have to, you know, flip a coin to see who'd get, you know, which half. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, layer up in these sort of thick woolly uh, jumpers, these Irish uh, knit jumpers that dad said when they got wet, they'd just go right down to your knees, you know, mm -hmm. that would nearly drown you. But they, yeah, they got hooked, and uh, my grandmother inadvertently, you know, created a and her, as she would have said, a bunch of beach bums. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they stuck at it, and, and I I kind of came to it through that by just being born into this really unusual way of life back then, and uh, and still surfing with my dad to this day, who's just turned sixty, 
Um, and my mum has some interesting stories from back in the day too of uh, having to, it was still an unacceptable sort of fringe thing that was frowned upon by more mainstream. Um, so she sort of had to like hide it from her parents for a while. And um, I guess my introduction to it was really, really different. I feel like I've just been born to the sea. I don't ever remember life before surfing. Mm. Um, so it's funny when people ask me, what was that first experience like? Because <laughs> I just can't imagine my life without it. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, there's there's so much here that, that I want to dig into. Uh, you know, I think that one of the really interesting things you said at the, the very beginning of that is this idea of being born literally on the edge where the land meets the sea. And I can't help but think that there are these kinds of edges on our own lives, but we don't know how to look for them or if we miss them. And I'm really interested uh, in your thoughts on how we uncover what those edges might be in our own lives. Mm, that's such a fascinating question. I almost feel now that you say it, that this has been like the quest, even in my life, that I've been always looking for an edge and I think it comes down to this feeling of um for me always growing up on the edge in terms of not fully belonging in, in any one world like I, I got into surfing before it was cool um uh, grew up somewhere so isolated so um my playmate actually was the ocean <laughs> um and then I had that as a sort of you know that guiding force in my life but yeah these edges I think um I've been able to explore them um, literally through applying the metaphor of, of when you're riding a wave, you literally are on this edge constantly between you're just, a, you know, a, a breath away from crashing and falling and getting tossed or, or flying, you know. Um, and it's like you have to maintain this, this whole, this space and tension on this edge all the time um, because you don't know what to expect. You don't know what the wave's going to throw at you. Um, and I mean, I find a lot of life is like that and even increasingly so. Um, and for me, that's where I feel most alive. So I'm actually drawn to edges when I think about it, which it can be uh, my whole life. I mean, it can be a dangerous thing, but it's also about uh, that. I think that's where we, we find that those sparks for the creativity. And when we really get into flow and things like that, that sense of freedom, it comes not when we're in a comfort zone, but mm -hmm. when we're we go to that edge. You know, so it's interesting. Um, you mentioned this idea of a guiding force and also the comfort zone, which, you know, I, the one <laughs> question that raises for me is how you start to learn how to trust that that guiding force will lead you somewhere good, uh, even if it is outside of your comfort zone. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, and it's hard because it, it requires so much trust. Um, and and then, you know, you have these moments uh, which you're almost driven by and the constantly seeking um, that moment of joy or stoke or the heightened experience that you get. But you can't maintain that all the time. Um, and the hardest part is actually the coming back to shore. Mm -hmm. you know, how do you carry and maintain that like when you go through these flat spells let's say in life <laughs> um the lull the flatland the, the struggle where it isn't all um you know especially when for people like us and who surf and um are drawn to these edges um how do you I suppose in a way it's like hold back from in a sense what I'm trying to get at is that there's that addictive tendency mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Um, that can be not healthy as well. And we still need to cope with coming back to shore in order to, um, I guess, almost let the real fullness of that experience sink in when we have these big moments in our lives. Um, and I think the only way to do that is to, to give ourselves space. Um, I think the thing that we forget, um, especially as observers of, say, I, again, relating it back to something like surfing, is that you always see the the wave riding and think that that's what it's all about but like 90 percent of surfing is is uh having to wait observe <laughs> be patient um you know the spaces in between the waves are actually occupies the most amount of time uh -huh. um, 
but they're really important um, how we are in those spaces and how we use them. Um, I, I think that that's where, yeah, if we can use that, I suppose, to to let it all sink in. You know, it's it's interesting because, you know, when you describe that space between waves, I think about uh, any creative career in which, you know, you'll see a creative person who kind of hits rhythm. It's kind of like one wave after another. And I only know this because I've experienced it. And then they're in a flat spell. And uh, <laughs> amazingly enough, it's in that space between waves where you actually grow the most. Yes, absolutely. Be- because I'm we have this tendency and I'm someone who really wants to race, you know, from one thing to the next, like to move really fast to, uh, to catch the next wave, <laughs> constantly seeking and searching and, and never actually comfortable with being still. Um, but it's that, um, yeah, I think if we don't allow ourselves that, then there's also that, I mean, the tendency to when we are really creative to burn out or to, to stagnate or you, know, you just don't get a chance to take a step back and observe. It's like a lot of time before you even charge out into the water, you have to, to spend time observing the lineup or you find yourself at a new break mm-hmm. or entering new territory. And sometimes you're out there for maybe three hours and you don't even catch a wave, but that's not wasted time. Because you're you're observing, you're awakening and tuning into to the the mood and the the uh, characteristics of of a place. Mm-hmm. It's like you're sort of yeah, really getting a feel for it. I suppose. Um, I just find any time you go in the water, it isn't isn't a wasted time. Right. <laughs> Even if you know you um, if you're able to, I suppose, let go of uh, of those expectations. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I, I can relate that to writing and to creating anything. I mean, I have these extended periods in which it feels literally like nothing is happening, but I'm still writing every day. Not many people are reading, you know, not much is happening. And yet, all of that is preparation for something much bigger. Uh, and, you know, I always say it's like you show up on the shitty days, because if you show up on the shitty days, you'll be prepared for the really good ones. Right, exactly. Um and yeah, and it's that, um, like I've experienced it too with, um, I think a lot of, of surfing and, and being in this, un, any kind of unpredictable environment, um, and a creative process is a lot to do with like le- having to let go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, but that, you know, people say that all the time and I'm like, yeah, you know, and it's, but it's a constant process and it's also a lot harder than you think because it, it requires you to put trust in the unknown like you don't know what the outcome is going to be and then you can also when you really let go I I'm always terrified of stopping because I, I'm just waiting for all my you know my system to crash <laughs> that you know you discover all these like because the tension releases that you're holding too and you discover all these aches and you never knew you had and <laughs> it's um yeah it's not easy as well um I think that's yeah, people forget that mm-hmm um, so sometimes, yeah, it's best just yeah, to, to keep surfing. And as soon as you stop, you notice that it was actually taking it out of you. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that I'm interested in out of personal curiosity is having only surfed as an adult, um, what the contrast is from having had that experience, you know, as a really young child, uh, to, you know, having a, as an adult and how it, makes you see the world differently and how it's different as a kid versus how it is as an adult. Because, you mm-hmm. know, I, like I look at it as an adult, I understand that it's this tremendously spiritual journey, but I can't imagine a kid even has any concept of how spiritual <laughs> of, of what it is, you know, a thing it is. And I'm really interested in hearing your perspective on this. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, so again, it goes back to that thing when people ask me, you know, oh, you always ask what was it like your first wave and um i i can't i can't recall it because it's just i was always in the sea um i probably maybe started actually riding on like a surfboard standing up when i was from when i was four years old um and funnily enough though one of the things i do remember and i think this will like tap into like i think what the difference is is a lot to do with mindset mm-hmm. uh, and just that sort of free open curiosity that you have that's so innate as a child like the playfulness aspect and literally that you, you're not sort of trying to force your will on something <laughs> 
<laughs> but that said, even at that young age, I was probably like four or five. So this is my earliest surfing memory um, of my dad taking me surfing. Uh, it was you know quite a big day. And he pushes me off on a wave and I don't have my balance right and I get tossed. And I get, you know, you're getting tossed around by the wave, washing machine. And then I try to come up and the board's over my head. And so I can't surface right away. And and eventually, I guess because I... I would never remember being scared, though, if that if that makes sense. But um, I do remember when I came up. I just remembered you know, all I had to do was put my feet down um, <laughs> because we hadn't gone out that far. And then you just push the board out of the way. But I came up when I was sort of flustered and coughing water. And and then my dad, his reaction was unbelievable. He was laughing at me. Mm-hmm. I remember, I, that just made me furious because then <laughs> I had this, like, this little ego in me. <laughs> Was I didn't want to be told what to do, and then I couldn't believe that you know, like the dad was laughing at this like serious moment. But really, what I got out of that in the end, I think what he was really trying to teach me um, was just the importance of um, of laughing when, in sometimes needing to laugh in really serious situations, or when the shit really hits the fan. Mm-hmm. Or that so that's something that I've always carried through with me that. Um, that one of just not taking yourself too seriously. And also the, if you do the ocean, the ocean tosses you around and you come up, it's almost to tap into, I suppose that it also feels exhilarating. Um, I know for some reason that experience just stuck with me and it's, it's really helped me not hold fear around those situations anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which I know. And then also as kids, it can almost be, can be the opposite effect if they have a scary water experience. Um, but I, I do find now teaching surfing and I, I have a mix of, I, I love having kids and just, um, the energy is so different, but I find them with adults, it's because they really want it broken down. They're like analyzing, you know, why does it work this way? <laughs> um, you know, uh, trying to, yeah, I suppose trying to almost seek control of the situation which is utterly impossible <laughs> and it's hard for us to let go of that because that's what we've got we've sort of lost the playfulness and it's all been about being trained to be the experts in something yeah so as adults uh, i mean how do you translate that and then you know how do you how do you bring that sense of playfulness back to your life as an adult uh, because I, I, you know, I, I happen to agree with you. Like we take things way too seriously and I'm one of those people, even though I'm a surfer, I can't, I sometimes have difficulty translating the lessons from surfing into my own life. Yes, I know. Right. It's very easy to talk about it, but <laughs> it's one thing, uh, applying it. Um, yeah, I get really caught up in it too. And it's like, I have to like, check myself and go, Oh, hang on a moment. Like like you say, if we're too long out of the water, we notice what I call like withdrawal symptoms um, and that you, you need to get back in the sea just to relax and chill out. Um, it's, I guess it comes from like what I mentioned maybe earlier about finding those spaces, like creating those spaces, the moments to, to just pause and take a breath. Um, I think what, I, what we can apply from, my experience at least of being out in the water and surfing and what comes from that play from this childlike mind is that like the beginner's mindset, which comes from just really, I think the art of noticing, mm-hmm. um, has really been lost it's because when you're out there surfing, you're constantly, or you're in the sea in a constantly changing environment, you're constantly ob- making observations, um, tuning in with all of your senses and you're very much in the moment and it's constantly changing. So it's uh, it's really incredible act of like presence or mindfulness in action is much easier in that scenario when you're in the surf, for example. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to find that on land just comes from, yeah, almost like posting these reminders for ourselves to actually almost to unplug <laughs> disconnect hit pause uh to really get connected to our surroundings by mm. just beginning to make those really small observations again yeah it, it's it, that, that's a really interesting way of looking at it i mean it, it, i can you know in those moments when i can actually translate what i've learned in the water into land life works and <laughs> when i don't that's when i run into problems yes Exactly. 
yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to think of a few examples myself, but uh, yeah, and it, it's been funny because surfing's been such a constant force in my life. It hasn't been something up until more recently that I've even been really conscious mm-hmm. uh, about its impact because it's just almost not that I've taken it for granted, but it's just been like, yeah, this is how it's always been, um, which is rare to have something, I suppose, that runs through your life, like from my past and even beyond, like having that history all the way through to to the present. That's been something that's such a powerful force, but also a constant one. And now I'm beginning to appreciate it much more, um, I suppose, at this stage, that sort of transition and turning in your life when you hit your late 20s and <laughs> and you start doing more exploration of the inner kind as well as the outer. You know, I was really like out in the world um, exploring for a long time. Mm. But seeing now that, that that's pioneering thread, let's say, is has been there all along too. You know, that that's actually what I'd love to spend the rest of our time talking about. You know, it, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I meet people in the water and when I hear that they've surfed for 40 or 50 years, I think, wow, like this is such a deep part of your identity. Like it, it's it's actually a fundamental part of who you are. And I just don't know how many of us grow up having this sort of constant force in our life or this constant in our life that is such a tremendous part of our identity. And I'm really interested in how that shapes your sense of purpose and mission in life to have a sense of of, uh, some sort of constant in your life, especially, you know, having grown up with this and this heritage. And if we don't have it, where we go about finding that thing that may become the constant for the rest of our lives, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Well, there's just big things to explore here. Um, Maybe what it's just triggering for me right now is this thought of how for a while I was almost, not that I saw it as a burden, but uncomfortable with, when the realization came that this this uh, relationship I have with the sea and surfing, to have something that's such a strong passion in my life is, is a real gift. Um, and then feeling that sense of responsibility that I have this amazing thing in my life, then how, how do I use it? Uh, <laughs> um, feeling like, well, I can't waste it. Um, but also then struggling because something like surfing is always considered quite a selfish pursuit. Um, mm-hmm. It's very personal, individualistic. Um, it's all about, you know, seeking the next way of getting your fill. Um, and somehow that never really, always oh, that never really sat um, so well with me. Uh, <laughs> And and I guess that for a while I've been circling around, well, how do you, you know, share something like that? That's such, for me, it's such an intimate thing. It is a close personal relationship that I have. Um, and then finding a way to, to open that up. Um, and so part of that began with using surfing as a vehicle to go out and explore the world. Um, and in that way, as it as much as it guided me, I used it as a lens to better understand places I went to and people I met. And, and then you find, too, when you're part of something like that um, that's so strong, it is a great connector, actually, because you have this global wave-riding tribe um, all around the world, despite all the other differences, like social and cultural and religious. And and so I guess I really hit upon a big um, uh, turning point in my life, um, probably in 2010, so like five years ago, when I used that same sort of pioneering sense of adventure and exploration and took my surfing to explore <laughs> a corner of the world that really isn't on anyone's, uh, you know, uh, any surfers collective bucket list um, of must surf destinations. And it took me to this really remote um, part of the world um, in a desert and a southeastern part of Iran. And um, yeah, it's, I guess, well, this is a probably, it's a big story for who I am now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yeah, I think, um, I'm, I'm not sure how best to go from here. Um, Yeah, it's it's getting. I suppose it's getting back to um, 
that when it comes to sort of seeking what you're most passionate about um how do you sort of live your passion all these things that you're told to do and um I guess for me in part it was finding where that had come from um this connection with the sea um and knowing that it was such a positive force in my life but I guess almost wanting to go deeper than that so that how do you share something that you're that passionate about to create a, a depth of understanding and connection with other people, really, um, which might sound crazy in the surfing world, <laughs> um, which isn't really about the sort of giving and sharing. It's usually it gets really competitive and people are hunting for their waves. And But this experience was unique because it was a part of the world where I guess surfing had it didn't exist. I went in 2010. There was no surf culture. There was no one surfing. Um, and, you know, it was it was like this blueprint. Uh, that, I mean, as in you could create your own blueprint. There wasn't any blueprint for how, it, how surfing should be done. And I suppose in that way, it's only now looking back at it. And there's parallels, obviously, with the, my own history <laughs> with you know, my grandmother in Ireland and my dad surfing and, and it, there not being any surf scene in Ireland. And then I happened to, yeah, I, I didn't see it that way at all at the time. Hmm. But come, come across this corner of the world where people are experiencing something like surfing for the very first time and to be in the mix of shaping that story um, is really quite powerful. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like, what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So let's talk about that in a bit more depth. I'm really interested in, in what it's like to effectively create 
uh, a cultural blueprint and a heritage in a place where there wasn't one? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, it, yes, it's almost when you put it that way, it's really, <laughs> like well holy wow um well i know it's not quite like that i guess it's still you know it's a story in in the making but mm-hmm. going back it it was um i guess really exciting i mean because it was that sense of unknown um not knowing how something like that was going to be received and in the beginning to be honest that sense of um definitely having a beginner's mindset uh, borderline naivety if not really knowing the fullness of the the whole story of where we were going because I went with very much the surfer's mindset of uh, researching the coast, figuring out when the best swell season was, what were the best chances of discovering waves. And so it was that sense of um, discovering, you know, uncharted territory and, and all of that um, that initially drove me. And that wasn't really considered a combination of being a woman and mm-hmm. surfing and Iran. I and mean, we put that in the mix. <laughs> except that whenever you told anyone that just there was total disbelief and people just thought you were crazy um and probably still do <laughs> <laughs> um and and to be honest I mean the first time we went it uh it was just myself surfing and this other woman Marion Poiseau who's a filmmaker so she was there with her camera I was there at my surfboard it was almost misadventure from the beginning because our mutual friend or colleague who'd organized the whole trip didn't even show up. Um, and I'd never met, we'd never met each other before. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of bonded by this sense of, well, we're here now. <laughs> and, you know, let's just go for it. Um, and it, it ended up being really worth it, but quite a struggle initially to get the story out there um, and to have that accepted. But once it was, as in, uh, Marion released a short film, like five minutes long, um, of that first journey in 2010 of, of me surfing, covered up in a hijab on this the edge of this desert. And the exciting thing that came from that was that it created a lot of buzz, like um, internationally in the mainstream, um, but also within Iran, it got picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, on YouTube by other sportswomen in the country who are already pioneering their own sports, finding a way to follow their passion against the odds, so already breaking new ground and pioneers in their own right, um, who got really excited that this could be possible in their own country. Because the reason I think it hadn't happened up until that point is that it's such a remote part of Iran, which is a vast country, and it's a really poor and isolated part of Iran too, um, in the region of Baluchistan. So it's not even on the radar for Iranian people to go and visit. Um, and you know, it's not, a, it's not like indoor Hawaii. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's surf, but it's, you know, it's, I suppose not world-class, but beautiful empty beaches. And so the motivation then came through, uh, yeah, this almost open invitation to explore more, uh, the experience of surfing as a woman in a place like that. And that really excited me because here was the chance to share what I was most passionate about and to understand what that felt like for the first, like do like surfing for the first time in a place where it had never been done before, like almost tapping back into the unconscious memories of what was it like for me the first time I surfed. Um, And it was really beautiful, and it led to this um, return journey, um, the next adventure in 2013, um, with two other young Iranian women, Shala and Mona. Mm -hmm. Mona is a professional snowboarder, and Shala is a swimmer. And, and so it's just a really uh, exciting shared journey across all these, um, all these barriers, as you could imagine. So, you know, one of the things you said is that there was a struggle initially, which, you know, knowing as little that I do about, you know, how women are perceived in these in, in Middle Eastern cultures or, you know, surfing with a hijab and those kinds of things. Talk to me about the struggle mm-hmm. of getting this story out and what challenges mm-hmm. you faced and how you overcame them. Yeah, it's it's funny because then I mentioned this, like the struggle and challenges, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, women surfing in Iran. And usually it tends to be, what immediately springs to mind is maybe the gender or religious mm-hmm. um, challenges. And, you know, they they exist, but it's like any culture that you go to in the world that isn't your own and you find a way to sort of, you know, park your judgments and be open to a new experience. Um 
but really the I mean the struggle and challenge came more with um yeah it, it was just too big a leap for a lot of people to make that we could a do something like this that we had this vision and story it, it yeah it just was very hard for people to make that kind of connection um so far removed from their views of of a place that they'd never been to um until you actually until we actually showed people <laughs> and it was almost like you know yeah it was so having then having to have that trust that we could pull something like this off with no one really believing that we could <laughs> and us also not knowing there's a risk not knowing how it would be received doing this as women for the first time because there was no blueprint and no set of rules it could open up this a wonderful space to explore and for you know a freedom that wouldn't otherwise have been there if there was a whole set of rules about how it should be done but also running the risk that it might just be immediately shot down um and yeah so that was really the this, this struggle was was being up against um a lot of resistance mm. because it didn't fit the norm um and even in the surfing world it, you know, how do you market that? Um, <laughs> of, uh, yeah, there are these, you know, amazingly talented young women who want to surf and then they're covered, you know, covered from head to toe and um, it's not the bikinis and palm tree thing. Mm -hmm. And then obviously when you're talking about Iran and they're just like, can't come. Well, I, to be honest, was really ignorant when I first um before I first went too of not even knowing they had a coastline exposed to any surf and you're just there's a lot of new concepts to get across to people all at once <laughs> it can be a challenge yeah hmm. you know so I, you know I, I've been thinking through kind of what the entire thread of this story has been and in so many ways your life is effectively a blueprint of these stories in this heritage and I'm really, I guess, interested in how we figure out what the blueprint of, you know, our own heritage is in our own lives and how we translate that into something meaningful in the world. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're really pulling out, unraveling. I feel like you're totally unraveling. <laughs> well, you should have expected that. You knew what you were getting yourself into. I know, I know. It's great, though. What fun. Um yeah, isn't it fascinating? The the sort of I, I this this whole like the storytelling, the power of the storytelling, and the stories we tell ourselves. And I suppose even when you asked about our passion, and then for me questioning, well, where does that even come from? Mm -hmm. And okay, I've had this you know constant connection with the sea, and I've been surfing my whole life. Um, but then then even you know exploring that further back how did it, it catch me in that way and I suppose I didn't even see that like, that we have this sort of genetic um storytelling code <laughs> um these threads that go so far back that we we are still woven into our lives that we're carrying forward and it wasn't until I actually was in the most unlikely of places and I was literally in this village on the edge of this desert with a local like Baluchi tribe who are the first local people there to, that we taught how to surf. Um, bearing in mind that the first surfers um, in Iran are now women. Mm -hmm. So the only way for other people to learn, um, including men and boys, is to learn from, from women <laughs> initially, um, which was a really incredible experience. But it opened up a space, I suppose, that wouldn't have otherwise been there to explore other issues and, and share these stories um, uh, with, with people who might not ever have had a chance to otherwise. Um, and everyone's, you know, a lot more relaxed having experienced this, this buzz and stoke of surfing for the first time. So barriers are, have been dropped, at least momentarily. And then there was a lot of talk about, I guess, their curiosity of what brought me there mm -hmm. um, and telling my story. Um, and I've, I've told my story before, but this was kind of different. And it was it was one of the the local um, young young men that taught to surf, um, and his his. Funnily enough, it's there's three brothers um, who've started surfing and and become really as what is the, now the first surfing family in Iran in this village called Ramen. Um, 
And so I was trying, I was linking it back to, well, you know, I'm from the first surfing family in Ireland. Um, you know, we were putting two and two together and they just thought it was, you know, they made the connection that then I suppose with my grandmother and, you know, how she came back in, even if it was inadvertently started the surfing scene in the Northwest of Ireland. And here I was, you know, Southeastern Iran, you know, bringing as many surfboards as I could carry over <laughs> and, you know, sharing them on a the beach and seeing what happened. Um, so that made me realize the power of of not only I suppose the stories we tell ourselves or that we're we're told, but what we carry, um, you know, in terms of our heritage, mm-hmm. um, is, is such a powerful thing, and it's a force that comes out in our lives uh, in in one way or another, consciously or unconsciously, and I suppose it excites me now because we're bringing this more conscious awareness to it. It's in hyper-focus right now <laughs> um, in this, in this chat with you. Um, yeah. I, I didn't think I've answered your question. I think this is something we need to explore though. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I guess that takes me to another question. Having, you know, grown up as an Indian American uh, about, you know, why certain things um, like surfing maintain you know, this sort of timelessness to them and they're passed on from generation to generation. And yet in the culture I'm growing up in, I'm seeing more and more that a good amount of my heritage is probably not going to be passed on um, and going to be lost maybe by choice uh, because I don't identify with it entirely. Um, And strangely, you know, the thing that I will probably pass on to, you know, whatever kids I have or, you know, whoever follows is surfing. Um, and I'm really interested in why you think we start to lose heritage and, you know, how we can keep that from happening. Mm. Um, well, it's a really interesting question, obviously, as um, an Irish person as well. <laughs> and we're, not, we're known to be pretty connected to our roots mm-hmm. in that sense. Um, but it's something I, I've been more aware of because I've because I've traveled um, and realized that, there, that this is, that I have such a strong connection to where I'm from um, in terms of my heritage and who I am and how I identify with that. And yet being from Ireland and Irish people, and we've always been really mobile as a society. Um, and and yet you see the big changes happening here now culturally, um, so many parts of our, our society and culture and, and that heritage is changing um, and may may actually be lost. Um, but yeah, I, I, want, I wonder about this too, because then, then I'm in places like Iran where there's also such a strong heritage and attachment, like, like the identity of being Persian and how that carries through collectively is a sense of, um, you know, pride, authenticity, um, the, the legends that we tell ourselves that there's these heroes that we're somehow descended from. <laughs> and in that way, I suppose, even growing up in Ireland with all the myths and legends and it, it didn't seem so dissimilar. Um, but I think it's more to do with, and I find with surfing, I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to pass on. So I really hope that happens, Rini. <laughs> um, because it's this thing that what I'm trying to probably get at here is that how I see surfing is that it has potential to be so much more fluid and, and really border crossing, um, literally because of the very medium that it is, mm-hmm. but in a way has the potential to be able to weave together through all these different cultures, like regardless of our heritage and um, and our culture. But I think rather than diluting or losing them, it actually connects them. Mm. Uh, I, For me, it gives me a greater understanding of other cultures and the differences, but allows for, a, you know, an, a tolerance of them, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. No, uh, as well as questioning parts of my own heritage. <laughs> You know, I think perhaps that is one of the things that has always stuck with me as very special about it is that it kind of transcends every sort of thing that separates us. You know, race, religion, age, all of it is kind of gone uh, in the context of surfing. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, that's one of the most powerful metaphors um, that we can apply in our lives, which is 
that yeah that transcendence part it's almost like that well how do you come back from the mountain how do you come back ashore after these you know heightened experiences and it's it's the fact that it's so powerful because you experience in those moments surfing um it's like this i best describe it as literally all those barriers um that we put up within ourselves Mm -hmm. and between ourselves and our environment and each other that dissolve like it literally when we talk about identity when you're surfing i often feel especially in those like big wave environments um that the ocean will strip you of all of that um so that it gets to the point where it really doesn't matter like the ocean doesn't discriminate and doesn't care whether you're a man or a woman or <laughs> or, or, or whoever you are mm-hmm. um and and it's that's what can be so freeing about it because yeah it's sort of it really dissolves all of that um all that stuff and baggage that we we carry on to um and it, you know in that way that um i think Instead of you, you know, you've you made the comment about how this sort of surfing culture um, has has remained so constant or hasn't changed so much, and I think it's actually maybe it's the other way around is that it's because it's not static. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like a lot of our, you know, cultures and heritage are very old and slow moving. Let's say, if not static, and um, whereas surfing has has been is almost in in opposition in that it it the whole identity culture and all of that that you carry on land you're able to let that go in a sense um which can be really scary too because it sort of exposes um sort of yeah it's like a deep dive isn't it and you expose your vulnerabilities as well in those Mm -hmm. moments confronted by uh waves in the ocean let's say yeah yeah so i want to ask you one last question about this um journey piece you know, you'd mentioned this idea of following a passion against the odds, which I think is ultimately the story of almost every single guest here. And I'm interested in what you think it is that enables people to do that. Mm. Yeah, when we, it's it's interesting. I I've, I <laughs> anytime you ask these kind of sticky questions I immediately uh see my mind going into an experience of okay how does that relate to when I'm surfing (laughs) and then translating it back to okay now I'm on land um but really I think it's like you know those moments you have um and this is a a metaphor I think for life in general where you're a lot of the time it happens I mean it's not very glamorous 90 like most of the time when you're surfing you're actually getting uh you're getting beat up by the ocean let's say but you're it doesn't kind of make sense this sort of relentless pursuit um to to find the sort of perfect wave to get the that ride of the day and you're battling your way through it just seems like almost sometimes the ocean has this personal vendetta against you and you're just getting smashed by wave after wave after wave and you're literally going nowhere or maybe you're even being pushed backwards and yet you just keep trying moving forward and you're close to exhaustion and you feel so close to giving up like you just want to let go and not in the good sense of the word and and you're waiting for that moment that break and and then almost when you're just about ready to give up, then you get it. And um, and it's it's sort of like the, my point being like the effort reward thing often doesn't balance out when you're <laughs> when you're surfing. I mean, you ride when it lasts for like moments, seconds, and you've just spent hours, you know, battling the elements. Right. Um, right. But it's like you, but you you know that you just that's what you have to do, um, even though you're battling against all the odds. I'm not sure where that comes from unless I can relate it to is it is it more than just the the feeling that we're seeking um that we know how it is that we want to feel and we know if we're not um living that truth that that's a lot more unbearable than than struggling against all the odds Mm. um and it's that sort of I suppose when you're really driven by your passion as well it's that sense of commitment you know Know that it's like that when the surfer commits to the drop, that moment when you take off on the wave, 
and and you take that and it is like a drop and you take that risk and you don't know how it's going to end but you know if you're like a hundred percent committed 110 percent then the chances of making it are, are far higher but right. if you have a moment of hesitation or doubt <laughs> uh you're going to get smashed yeah um, yeah wow so uh, iski this has been really really insightful and eye-opening and uh really different than a lot of the conversations we've had here on the show. So I want to close with my final question, which I know you've heard me ask. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Oh, it's, yeah, I knew this was coming. <laughs> and then um, it's not a question you can prep for. Um, I think, what is it that makes someone unmistakable? I think it's what we what we've been talking about, maybe um, you know, all along, and it's that for me, what makes someone unmistakable is that moment of it's the like the most unmistakable moment for me when you see someone. When, when it all aligns is when I suppose we've we're holding the fullness of that moment of that experience that we're in um, without putting judgment on it and yet we're so present and committed we're not holding anything back um, and we've we've given it our all and we've let go and literally take you know if you're talking about an edge we've taken that that leap off the edge and we're for the moment just enjoying the exhilaration of of that that jump <laughs> of taking the leap of making the drop on that wave um and and committing to what comes next without even knowing what that might be um and trusting in that process awesome awesome well, well i want to go surfing now <laughs> uh, me too <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, Iski, this has been absolutely amazing, and uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share some of your stories and your insights uh, and your journey with our listeners here at The Unmistakable Creative. Oh, thank you so much, Srini. It was, felt like a great exploration. <laughs> awesome. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration 
into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.